How do you approach the book of Revelation? Do you find it confusing, bizarre even, fascinating or mysterious? Is it a book of the Bible that you perhaps avoid? This morning, I want to encourage all of us to approach the book of Revelation in a similar way that the original readers received it almost 2,000 years ago. You see, despite all of the graphic depictions of apocalyptic events, Revelation is, in fact, a letter. And it's a letter that is written to the church for a specific purpose. The purpose is evident in the name of the book. It is revealing something important for the good of the church. The author, John, is instructed to record his vision not for the sake of his own knowledge, but so that the church may know the truth that is being revealed. It is a very important book of the Bible, and it comes with John's own urging that we take it to heart. At the beginning of the letter, it says in Revelation 1, verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This letter tells us right at the beginning that these words, these apocalyptic prophecies are important. So read it and take it to heart. And we want to do that this morning. Revelation can be a challenging book due to the amount of symbolism to work through, but at the heart of this letter is a reminder that God is on the throne, that he holds all of history in his hand, and that Christ the Lord is victorious. The things depicted in this book are not to intimidate the church, but are to encourage God's people and to call us to live lives of faithful obedience to our Lord. So let's read it and be blessed. The passage that we are considering today is close to the end in Revelation 21. Throughout Revelation, the symbolic visions point to events throughout history, some of which are in the past, such as the birth of Jesus Christ, some events are in the present, such as the persecution of the Christian church, and some are still to come in the future. This chapter, Revelation 21, is looking forward. It describes an amazing future that is already written, but has not yet taken place. It is the creation of the new heaven and new earth and it arrives on the heels of the events that take place in Revelation 19 and 20, which is the final judgment, the defeat of Satan, and the death of death. So when we arrive at Revelation 21, we see John saying in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I don't know what comes to your mind when you consider eternity. 
I would wager that we tend to sell eternity short. I think that cultural attempts to depict a heavenly eternity have left us with images of harps and white togas and people jumping from cloud to cloud. Images which, by the way, do not reflect what the Bible has to say about heaven and the life that is to come. The Bible gives us a very earthy description of eternity. In fact, it is an eternity which resembles what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. That is to say, in John's vision, eternity will take place on a created earth with created heavens, to some degree like the first creation. One difference, and it's a large difference, is that this creation will be better than the first. I want to look at some of the specifics that John describes about the new creation. Let me start again by, by reading at Revelation 21.2. He says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Something very important that is made, that is made plainly clear about the life to come is that God will be with us. In the new creation, God dwells with his people. And I want to highlight two primary details about God's presence in the new heaven and the new earth. We're going to look at God's presence as culmination and God's presence as our comfort. So first, God's presence as culmination. Have you ever read a novel for a second time or a third time? As a family, we are currently reading The Lord of the Rings. It's been close to 20 years since I first read Tolkien's fantasy adventure. And now I'm enjoying reading it with my children who are hearing the story for the first time. But you know, it's a lot different for me reading it from the beginning with knowledge of how the story ends. I know the characters. I know their purpose. I know the path that lies before them. In short, I know where it's all headed. And that knowledge gives much richer understanding to the details of the story. I can see something early in the book that at first I thought was inconsequential, but this time I have a greater perspective. Have you had this experience? Knowing the ending not only helps us understand the story as a whole, but it gives us richer meaning along the way. And I think that's why it is helpful for us to read Revelation and then consider how the ending gives greater explanation to what has happened previously in the Bible. As I said before, there are some similarities between the first creation in Genesis and the new creation described in Revelation. And that's not a coincidence. The fact that the Bible begins with creation and ends with creation reflects that it is one complex and beautiful story where everything is connected. 
story is very important. We like a good story. There are certain elements that make for a good story. We enjoy, for example, stories that have a happy ending. However, I imagine that few of us would be interested in a story about a pristine village where a lovely family lives and plays and happily coexists with all who are around them and everything is wonderful and peaceful, the end. I don't think that story would sell. And you know why. It's because there's no conflict in that story. There's nothing to be resolved. All of us are drawn to stories that involve a dilemma or a grand problem. We want a story to feature a problem being corrected. We want to see good triumphing over evil. We want a story to have a hero. And I would, and I would argue that the reason that we all like that type of story is because we are made in the image of a God who wrote the story of history. And it is a rescue story. As we heard earlier in the service from Genesis, this story begins with a beautiful, harmonious creation where God dwells in loving, covenantal relationship with man. And then, the conflict, it is all broken when man rebels against his creator. Since that day, the curse upon man and upon the earth has been the greatest of conflicts a story could have. And throughout the pages of the Bible, we see instance after instance of man trying in vain to solve his own problems. He does what is right in his own eyes. He seeks after other gods. He rejects the Lord again and again. There's only one way that the problem of sin can be resolved, and it's not through any effort or wisdom on the part of man. It's only through a rescue mission. It's only through our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that sin can be forever conquered. And that, this great conflict, can finally, can finally be resolved. In Revelation 21, we see what happens after the defeat of sin and of death. We see the ending. We see the restoration of God's creation and of his relationship to man. It's interesting how John describes the new heaven and the new earth. He sees a city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the city of God, and it's coming down from heaven to the new earth. And the fact that it's coming down is an important detail. This is a city that originates from God. Since the early days of Genesis, man has been trying to build a city to make a name for himself. But in the new creation, it will be a holy city, a city greater than any man could make. This will be a perfect city, a city of God. There's another important description in John's vision. It's also in verse 2. He sees the city coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
There are multiple places in Revelation where the people of God are called the bride of Christ. His love for us is that great. The prophet Isaiah said, As the bridegroom rejoices over a bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. John the Baptist calls Jesus the bridegroom in John chapter 3. And Jesus calls himself the bridegroom in Matthew 9. The culmination of all of history is a wedding. Christ, the bridegroom, wedded to his bride, the church. We're not just bystanders in the new creation. We play a prominent role in being forever united with Christ. We are his bride. A bride who, notice, has not cleansed herself up for the occasion, but a bride who has been prepared by another. It's Christ himself who has prepared us to be united to him. We prepare, he prepared us by removing our sin, something we never could have done ourselves. He so desires to be united to his bride that he gave his life for her so that she could be cleansed of her sin. One more detail I want to point out about God's presence as culmination is in verse 3. John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. God's presence with his people is a thread that is woven throughout the pages of the Bible. And here... Uh, the, the word uh, for dwelling place is the same word for tabernacle. That is what the Old Testament tabernacle was. It was a tent of meeting. Not a meeting space for the Israelites to gather with each other, but a meeting place between God and his people. And eventually a permanent structure re replaced the tabernacle, the temple. It too was a meeting place for God and his people. But God is so holy and man is so sinful that man could not get too close to God in this meeting place. Later in Revelation 21, there's a description of the holy city, the New Jerusalem, and it's a description that is rife with temple imagery. In verse 16, we, we learn that, that the city's length, width, and height all have the same measurement of 12,000 stadia, making it a perfect cube. Now these details can be easily lost on us, but they would have had great significance for those uh, in the first century. Because the city described as a perfect cube reflects the same shape as the holy of holies in the temple and the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies was the dwelling place of God. It was such a sacred place that it could only be entered by one person, the high priest, and only on one day in the year. It was restricted due to the separation between sinful man and a holy God. Yet in John's vision... In Revelation 21, we see in the new creation, the entire city is now the holy of holies. No longer is communion with God restricted 
because of man's sin. This is a big deal. In the new creation, God's people, for the first time since Adam and Eve, will share unrestricted communion with God. The temple in Jerusalem was not the end. That was not the goal. The temple was only a glimpse of what is to come, when God will fully dwell with his people. And this time it will be permanent and eternal. The second point I want to highlight which is shorter than the first, I promise, is God's presence as our comfort. So first we had God's presence as culmination, and now God's presence as our comfort. I don't think I need to convince any of you that there is something wrong with the world today. A quick look at world news reveals incredible grief and destruction. Many of you are currently feeling the weight of fear, pain, loneliness, and loss. And I believe we all know this is not how things ought to be. There's something wrong in the world, and it has existed since conflict first entered the story with the sin of man in Genesis 3. John records the saints in Revelation 6:10 crying out, "How long?" And we echo that cry today. How long will suffering and evil continue? The good news is that in this great story, as Revelation shows us, chaos does not reign. One of the repeated images throughout John's vision in Revelation is that the Lord is on the throne and that he's coming. I want to suggest to you that Revelation 21 speaks of God's presence as great comfort both to those who are suffering and to those who are lonely, the suffering and the lonely. There is great suffering in the world, but this book reveals to us that the end of the story is not one of suffering and chaos, but of justice, restoration, and peace. In this passage, Revelation 21, John paints for us a picture of God's people flourishing in the presence of the reigning Lord. He says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. This is a passage that gives the believer hope through its depiction of eternity with Christ living in perfect peace in the new creation, finally free from sin. Until that day, we struggle, we face persecution, and we suffer while waiting upon the Lord. But take heart that suffering is not without meaning. There is meaning because it is through our suffering that we identify with Christ, who himself suffered. We are approaching the time of year when we reflect on Christ's suffering, when he was ridiculed and rejected by his own people and ultimately died for the sins he never committed, for your sins and for my sins. And it is through his suffering that our dwelling with God is possible. Take comfort that Christ has suffered for our sake, that he now reigns victoriously in heaven and that he's coming again. 
And not only are these words of comfort for the sufferer, but also for the lonely. Did you notice how God is described in Revelation 21? It says, he will dwell with them. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. These are personal descriptions. Our Lord is a personal God. He is relational. And as we saw earlier, the whole story of the Bible up to this point has been describing God's mission to have relationship with his people. And in Revelation, we get a glimpse of God finally having that relationship fully restored. And for us, that is fulfillment at its greatest. Having been created in God's image, we too are personal and relational. And I believe deep, intimate relationship is what we all desire. It's what we were created to desire. And in this life, we get a partial realization of that type of relationship through close friendships and marriage in particular. We have an understanding of what fulfilling relationship can be, but we also know that our relationships here are tainted with the effects of the fall. It's only in the Lord that we can find relationship that never disappoints, never breaks down, never comes up short. In God alone do we find ultimate fulfillment through personal relationship with him. Look again at verse 3. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. If that promise sounds familiar, it is because throughout Scripture we see this same refrain of the Lord committing himself, saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. He repeats that again and again in his word, I think, because he knows that that's what we need to hear, because that's what we most desire, intimate relationship. They are words of promise, words of covenant. We belong to him, and how wonderful it is to be where we belong. The truth of the gospel is that we were created for someone, that we belong to someone, someone who's committed to relationship with us, and that despite our rebellion, he has pursued us so intently that he sacrificed his own son to pay for our sin, to claim us, to rescue us, and to dwell with us forever. Put your faith in him, Christ, our creator, our savior. Brothers and sisters, the end of the story is already written, and though it has not yet come to pass, take comfort and be blessed, because God has revealed his story of redemption. It's not a story of man building his way up to God. It's a story of God coming down to earth to rescue his bride. And it's a story where God's people share in his victory and dwell with him for all eternity. Thanks be to God.